Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 214 of the Foxy Podcast Show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment of the podcast, I dig into the work of the post-present medium record label. Started in 2001 in Los Angeles by Dean Spunt. The initial goal of post-present medium, as noted on their website, was to put out music by friends that no one else wanted to put out. To have a label that supported a collection of people with a shared aesthetic and direction. It is inspired by growing up in the DIY community obsessing over records, touring under questionable conditions, meeting rad bands, SST, and Discord. And aside from running post-present medium, Spunt would go on to play drums and sing in the critically acclaimed DIY art punk band No Age in the ensuing years, and who are still very much an active band, putting out a terrific new album this year called People Helping People on Drag City Records an album that finds the duo furthering their explorations into abstract realms while retaining their signature propulsive rock sound. I recently had a chance to chat with Dean about some of the history of post-present medium, some of the different inspirations and considerations that have gone into running the label for over 20 years, and some of the albums that he has put out in recent years. We also discussed the making of the new No Age album, as well as his latest collaborative album with John Weiss. You'll hear that interview in a few different segments throughout the show, and you'll also hear selections from several post-present medium releases too. Before we get into that interview, I'll start the show off with a few tracks from releases that came out on post-present medium this year, kicking things off with the most recent release, an incredible album of dubbed out, post-punk sounds from the Bay Area band Nonplus Temps from their album Desire Choir. This is the track Continuous Hinge.
I guess in doing some background reading about post-present medium to prepare for this show, I, I had a bit of a laugh-out-loud moment when I discovered the events that would ultimately give you the financial means to start up the label. And I guess for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with what I'm alluding to here, would you be willing to describe how a car accident and the Backstreet Boys factor into the beginnings of post-present medium? Sure, indeed. Yeah, so I had thought about participating in um, the music world that I was immersed in. And um, I played a little bit of music and with friends here and there, but I really wanted to start a label and um, didn't know how to do it. But I had started to talk to some friends about it. Um, but also realized it caught, it, it took more money than I had. Um, and around the same time I was driving with my then girlfriend at the time in Hollywood and we were coming down, uh, Franklin to Highland, which is a pretty busy intersection. And, um, we just, someone came out of a, a gas station and just nailed the side of our car, like hard. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, head hit the dashboard, kind of like, oh my gosh, we were we were we were uh, pretty shaken up. And we got out of the car, and um, there was a paparazzi guy there, and we got to the side, and the the guy came out of the car. He's like, I'm so sorry, you know, let's set, settle this real quick. And um, he went back to his car, I guess, to get his insurance information. Mm -hmm. And this paparazzi guy that rolled up was like, Hey, do you know who that is? I'm like, I, I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, That's a Backstreet Boy. Like, what? What is it? Okay, you know. I barely knew it, you know what I mean? Not listening mm -hmm. to top 40. Like I knew the name, but I don't know who this guy is. Um, and yeah. And then we, he ended up giving us some sort of expired or false insurance information. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was always told to, when you get in an accident, call the cops, mm -hmm. have them make a report. Like did they do that thing? Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 we didn't call the cops. Let's just give you, here's my info. And when we tried to get the info later, it was really hard to track him down. So I had to hire an attorney. And anyway, yes, later I did get some money, which is how I started the label, funding the label. Yes. And you never did yeah. release, well, not that I'm aware of, there hasn't been a Backstreet hmm. Boy release in the catalog, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Any, no. Any experimental or punk projects affiliated with Backstreet Boys, that explains it no, down the road. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I only knew, I only met the that one guy for you know about ten minutes. And right. Then he bailed. He had some really nice car, you know, kind of Mercedes thing. Mm -hmm. We had an old, messed up Volvo. <laughs> um, but but, but yeah, the, I got funds to st and you know I got some money, pretty good chunk, and I realized that hey, I, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, contacted a few of my friends who I knew did labels and asked them everything, and then I still messed it up and. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I remember discovering No Age back when Weirdo Rippers uh, came out, two thousand seven ish, mm. something like that. And and I recall those early write ups about the band often made reference to your involvement in uh, the all ages space, the smell. I think if you even go today, like I think every article still probably mentions the smell and no age together. It I seems think, like yeah, quite probably. a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I know that you started post-present medium, you know, several years prior uh, to uh, playing in no age, like with your band wives. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
I guess, could you tell us how like the smell and your involvement in that space maybe also contributed to uh, the label and, and, and how it developed early on? Yeah, well, the smell was one of the first clubs I really went to and felt, well, I mean, it's really one of the only first clubs I went to besides random kind of punk and, you know, uh, like lodges and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it opened in, I think it opened in 97. And I think I went there in 90, 96 or 97. And I went there in 96 or 97 for a party, I think before it had opened. Um, I mean, I, I think I was, I was born. Yeah. So I was 15 or 16 or something. <laughs> so, um, and I got kind of immersed in the world there. I played there before I had a label. I mean, then I was in some high school band, basically, you know, I was playing guitar in someone else's band Um, and I'd see shows there. And yeah, I got to know the people there and the vibe there. And um, it was just post Jabberjaw, which is another club in L.A. that was pretty, pretty big um, for a lot of people. I just missed that uh, whole thing. So when I realized that the smell was pretty local to me and there was touring bands coming through there um it it was the place that i really wanted wanted to that's where i hung out met met a lot of people mm-hmm. um and the smell existed in north hollywood in a much smaller location for i think two years before it moved to downtown um to its location now and when the smell moved downtown um yeah, right around that time, Wives started, and then, um, right, I wonder, yeah, I mean, the label might have started right when the smell moved downtown, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely where I was able to, you know, get knowledge for free mm-hmm. from bands or from people that did labels or seeing people and asking questions, and sort of like my college experience. Sure, and I'm trying to think, I, I'd have to look back, but I, I'd assume the early stuff on the label was really stuff that was closely tied to that venue. Like bands. Yeah. Coming, the coming first through. release was, um, the first release was a band from Olympia and Portland. Mm-hmm. And the, the first probably five or six releases, um, were all silkscreen covers, you know, maybe sort of a Fort Thundery type of, mm-hmm. um, Five, not re- not really, because I mean, I actually grew up. My mom is a silk screener. Okay, she had a shop opened up when I was in junior high school, so I'd been silk screening. So for me, it it I bought the records and then the covers. I just silk screened them because it was free for me to do. Right, um, and it was an aesthetic at the time. So um, yeah, the first record was that band from Olympia and in, in Washington and Portland, and then um, you know, like I said, I tried to sell those records. with Seven Inch. The band was called The Intima. Right kind of an anarchist band that sounded more like gang of four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw them play when I was, I think just maybe just graduated high school. Um, so I tried to sell those records made way too many, had no idea what I was doing and couldn't sell them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like label having a label sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then right <laughs> around that time, wives started and I think I had sent our demo or our, our seven inch to a couple labels and heard nothing back. And we decided well i'm like really you know i have a label i could try again but really the reason is because i had i still had 600 covers that i had got the size wrong on the chipboard when i did the first seven inch 
you know, seven inches, seven. So you fold it seven by 14. Yeah. Right. right. You do seven and a quarter by 14 and a quarter for it to fold over. And I don't know, I'm not great at math. Or, uh, <laughs> so I, the first batch of chipboard I made was seven by 12. So when you folded it, it was, there wasn't enough. So off, I had to yeah. leave a little space. So I couldn't use those. So I, I still had that chipboard. So the second record, when the wives, we decided to do it, I was like, I got the covers. Right. <laughs> there were chipboards, but let's just use them. So there's a funny gap, but we just photocopied a title on the back and used those. So. A good a good way to like repurpose what you already had, right? Rather than waste. Yeah, it. I'm 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 cheap. So. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so yeah, and then from there, yeah, wives, and then it was another wives seven inch and split with another band, and then uh, a, a local band, yeah, from the smell, and then Mika Miko from the so yeah, it all became that wrapped up in that. Right, we, right, right. Yeah. Well, but, you know. I saw kind of back to the smell of the venue. I saw that you had recently played there earlier this month. And, yeah. and it kind of occurred to me that it's a rarity for an all ages DIY performance space to survive as long as that space has. I mean, you look across the country and major cities, these things kind of pop up and disappear in a matter of years. So I guess, um, as someone who has traveled and played at all sorts of DIY spaces around the world, can can you speak to what has contributed to the longevity of a space like The Smell in, in L.A. and how that's contributed to sort of the, the underground music scene there? I mean, it's a bit of luck that it's survived this long. I mean, it's not for lack of effort, but um, The Smell exists in a, in a very uh, anarchistic environment. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not like another all ages space you would think of is like Gilman Street or something that's long, had a long history. Um, but but they're, I believe the way they're run is it's more like consensus and a, almost a committee and yeah. these these uh, membership fees or something or something like that. It always felt like the smell is like, it is just what you make it. It's just there. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting energy into it, it's working and there's other, there's people come and people go there's no real rules of what can be done or not done so that's why there's been like a pop-up like almost i use anarchist again but these like crusty kids are making a cafe inside there and people were doing art exhibits inside of there and then the venues and people were learning to do sound there and doing all these things and the person who has the lease and has run it since it started uh jim smith is still I mean, he's a union organizer by day and then does this all by night and it's just always been that way he get, yeah. he would give out keys to people and we could we recorded in there we slept in there we um used it as a space to um experiment and, and book shows and do all this stuff and learn all these skills that we use now yeah so um i think that's that's the reason it's been around for song because it's it can be in anything you need it to be um but at the same time, there's a bit of luck involved because it almost it almost got demolished a few years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, there was a big uh, backlash against that. And the people who bought the building said, oh, sh- shit, we didn't realize this was almost a cultural mon- icon. I don't know what this place is, but we're going to we're just serving you the notice. At some point, we will demolish it. But that's that's been years and they haven't done anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it lasted during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, closed. But um, yeah. And I, I think also. um it's a fair place to play. You know, mm-hmm. the, the deal is you get 70% of the door and 30% goes to the venue. Yep. And that's a survivable amount of money right. if you're bringing people in. So, right. Right. So it sounds so like as a bunch of bands that were, there wasn't many places for us to play. 
like we, you could book a show there and get kids there and, and walk away as a, a startup band with some money and it, it, it works. Yeah. So definitely having someone in the ownership and leadership that has a vision that believes in a space like that and believes yeah. in a fair and equitable model, I guess, for it. Yeah. And also believes in the people to run it themselves too. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to allow us to, to do our thing and there's no mm-hmm. imposing rules really, you know. Right. That's incredible. That seems important. Yeah, and it's rare. I well, we've been all over, and it's 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 a really rare thing. There's right. spaces that exist that are amazing, like Vera, or all ages place. But it, the, the smell feels like it doesn't. It just feels different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I mean, the, the fact that it's been around for what twenty twenty five. I think it's twenty five. I mean, they're doing the twenty five year anniversary. I think uh, in January of this next year. Okay. I think we're gonna play. He's doing maybe an, a week of shows. We mm-hmm. might play again. Oh, um, cool. Very cool. Yeah. You know, if I'm not mistaken, um, back to post-present medium, but mm. you had a little bit of a, a, a break, right? Was there like a, a gap, like maybe five, six years or so in the previous decade where things went quiet? Is, is that accurate? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Around 2013, um, it's sort of all wrapped up in, you know, this is a label that I do primarily by myself. Mm-hmm. I've had people that I've worked with before and come and go and um, employees here and there at the moment it's mainly me but um yeah around 2013 uh, the last record we did was the gun outfit um, uh, uh, hard coming down mm-hmm. and then no age had just released an object on sub pop and it was a third record of our contract and then my dad was sick and I was um just getting engaged it, everything just felt like and then you know digital music was becoming much more of a thing than right. I, I definitely needed to take some time to rethink what i was doing you know i want to be a label that serves the artists and, and is good at what i do and it felt like i was like i don't know what's happening yeah and i'm really this other the band world and life where all this stuff is happening they're all converging and i needed to step back so mm-hmm. um yeah from 2013 to 2018 maybe uh i released a, a book and a cdr on a sub different label a seven inch for no age that was on our own label um i mean really the same really ppm yeah but but it just, just didn't have the logo the bearing. Yeah, no, no logo. I just had to step back and kind of think about what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I jumped kind of head first right, right, right before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, I was going to ask you that. It's like, so what motivated you to jump back into it? I've been thinking about it for a while, um, just as a as a thing that I missed. I really missed. I, I feel like part of my. Um, uh, the 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 reason that I enjoy music is being involved in the production and the curation and the, the collaboration of it all. So I was doing No Age without this, and it felt empty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really inspired by the people I work with. Yeah, and I, I found that I didn't have that, and I felt uninspired. So, so um, um, I had been thinking about doing the label again. But really, not sure how to start up again, or who I would put out, or what. And uh, one artist, Otis Houston Jr. Um, I think you just ordered an LP. I did. <laughs> We're going to talk about that okay, one. All right. So um, my friend uh, Jacob Robichaux, um, he went to college with my wife, and um, 
he runs a, a gallery called Gordon Robichaux in New York with mm-hmm. um, um, Sam Gordon. And they had sent me this record of this artist, Otis Houston Jr. And I was just like, it met, I was like, this is, I love this music. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, he put out, he put out his own CD maybe a few years ago. Just gave him out. But we talked about yeah. doing an LP. And I was like, okay, let me, or we had talked about the idea of that or no. He just sent it to me and I, and I started thinking to myself, maybe this is how I start the label. At the same time, uh, there's a band from LA called Behavior and we'd become friends and I'd heard about them and I saw them play and they just felt, I just loved them and the way they approached music and it something that I that I felt like I had been missing from other uh, bands I'd been interacting with. Yeah. Um, and they had a whole other world that felt like I could get, there's a whole so many other bands connected to this band that I really dug. So those two artists, uh, I felt like I could add value. I could help. Right. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess despite all the challenges of the past year, you mentioned the pandemic and we could talk about all the fallout with pressing plants and turnaround times, but you know, looking through the labels discography or the catalog, I think these past few years may have been, as productive or as prolific as it's ever been, you know, throughout your history. So I guess, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, how have you sort of adapted to, to make some of those things happen over the last, I guess, two, three years? Yeah. I, I, you know, when it all started, we didn't know. So I had all this stuff planned and mainly the thing that happened first was that a bunch of bands couldn't tour, which felt like the death of it. Like, Oh, we're fucked. Here we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up working out, you know, Bandcamp Friday, people still wanted to buy music um and the artists i've been working with and the stuff i've been receiving has all has been great so i've just decided to keep keep working you know i just i guess weathering the storm is what it really feels like Mm -hmm. um and um um yeah and just you know figuring out my role as the numbers person and and like the amount that we make Mm -hmm. you know we can't make you know i used to it's like not every record needs to be a thousand pressing. Right. Not everyone needs to be 500. Not everything needs to be 300. There's a, there's a variable that goes up and down and, um, and yeah. And it's working with each person individually and figuring out the best way to present it. And uh, it's, I'm, I feel blessed and lucky that I get to work with so many that people trust me to, to put the record out. And um, I've found that, artists I work with want to work with me um and I say that because there had been times in the past that I'd had I'd hired some some people and while I was touring a lot and busy and almost passed it off to the other person yeah like okay cool you got that here we go I'm touring and then it never it just felt like that's not this isn't that kind of label I'm not just the guy who who says yes and then hands off Right. You off right. else. I, I have, I'm involved the whole way and I like doing it like that. And it probably, you know, it helps obviously being that you've been on the other side of that as, a, as yes. an artist, right? And want, yes. wanting yes. certain things and oh, yeah. knowing what that's like to go through. Um, yeah. well, well, let's play some tracks from some of the albums that you put right. out this year on the label. And I'm going to start off with one of my favorite albums of the year, honestly, uh, the, the latest from Chronophage. I think Heck yeah. Yeah. just an incredible record. It's such a major creative leap forward for this group. And I mean, mm. they had laid down a couple of really solid full lengths before this. But I guess I, I wanted to ask you before we jump into this block of music here is, 
were were you planning to work with them all along, or did they just send this record to you asking if you would put it out? And I guess what was your reaction when you heard it? I mean, given what they had done before, because I mean, it's like wow, like it's it's very different from their previous work. Um, yeah, I, I'd been turned. I got turned on to them from uh, someone in behavior. It was Justin or Bedros, and um, when I first heard them, I just I had manifested. I believed. <laughs> I trusted my my uh, spiritual to put out a record from them yeah. i've been talking to parker and uh, um i don't know how heavy-handed i was with like i i might have just said i want to put out a record for you whenever mm-hmm. and uh, this was after this was before uh the pig kissed album come out had come out i think they said oh we just recorded one but let's talk and yeah and then we just kept going and they recorded it and they sent it and yeah i would they sent me some demos first um and then so i knew the direction was different i didn't know the recording we didn't know who was recording it and then we all kind of settled on what was happening and they they figured it out and um and yeah when i first heard it i was i mean I, I, yeah you know a mixture of having chills and being scared and like what the fuck this is why it's so different yeah. um as you listen to it it just is really special music absolutely yeah, yeah. so let's play something from it this is a track called black clouds again from chronophage
my face, not my enemy.
other interviews that you've done where you've discussed uh, post-present medium, you've mentioned that you 
took inspiration from labels like Discord and SST, K Records, you know, some of those very notable punk and indie labels. Uh, I guess in terms of them having like a regional focus and, and not necessarily having a signature sound uh, for, yep. for the label. And I guess having worked with other different labels over the years with your band No Age, uh, the most recent being Dreg City, what have you taken away from these experiences that you've had uh, that you have that you've tried to incorporate back into how you run and operate your label I guess kind of what I was saying before is that I the label for me feels like uh, you know it's it's part of my creative and and spiritual practice in a way and I feel like it's important for me to be involved in in all of well right now i'm doing everything it is i'm involved in all of it uh because i need to be but also because i choose to be and um yeah working with drag city has been really fun for no age because i like the way they handle um their their business they they will tell you up front like we try to sell records sometimes people don't buy them but um we'll try our hardest Mm -hmm. and they're up front and it's easy and um and i like dan dan koretsky told when he when he asked no age or when we approached him about working with drag city and they said yes he said okay all i ask for you is your give me your weirdest and your best <laughs> and we're, we're this is a this is perfect for us um yeah i, I th- sub pop was a different thing uh, working with no age, you know, that we, we, that was sort of a world we weren't too familiar with, mm-hmm. um, the upper echelon of the indie world. I mean, before that, I think our touch and go, what is the dream? If we could ever be on that label, then yeah. it folded. Um, um, and yeah, because no age got thrusted into, into some other stratosphere of, of like opportunity, which we never had thought was going to happen. We ended up with sub pop who were wonderful to work with um for a good chunk of it and towards the end it wasn't as pleasant mm-hmm. um but uh part of it has to do with us we didn't know what we were doing how we were going about dealing with them or contracts or what who was our friends and who wasn't and what, it's a di- whole different world so i've taken stuff away from them more on what i what i what i don't want a label to be yeah yeah so i appreciate them for that yeah and i guess for you being that it's primarily you running it we got to talk about a matter of like scale, right? I mean, yeah. do you prefer to keep it at the scale that you're currently at and not, a, I mean, it's one thing to like, Hey, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to sell 5,000 records, which I know right. seems, seems like a lot or maybe not a lot to some people, but it's a lot of records yeah. for an independent yeah. label. Like mm-hmm. you would prefer to work with artists that you want to work with. And if you can move 500 copies, that's great. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think that kind of goes without saying, but I guess I should say that out loud that yeah, I, yeah. I don't work with bands that I don't really enjoy their music or their company, or I think that are inspiring to me. And I'm not, I don't really like popular music that much. I've found yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I've turned down a lot of, I mean, I get sent so much stuff and if anyone's listening that has sent me stuff, I'm so sorry that I don't write back. It's mm-hmm. really difficult for me to get back to everyone. Um, so I've almost taken this stance of just like, I won't get back to anyone. Yeah. And I have saved most of my emails and letters. And at one point I wanted to make a book of all, all, my, all my responses. Um, 
might never happen. But um, yeah, I, there I've been offered a lot of things to put out that I know and I've seen have gone on to sell a ton of records, but it's just not I'm not that person. Yeah, and they're probably better off somewhere else. So yeah, I choose stuff that I like, and my taster can be uh, all over. And and um, yeah, selling 500 records is is amazing. It's great. Yeah, to me. right. You know, aside from putting out your earlier band wives releases mm-hmm. and and a few no age singles, uh, I think there was like a split or two or something like that. But you haven't really used post present medium as much of an outlet for your own music. Um, yeah. um, ha- have you wanted to? I guess, maintain some boundaries with the label in a certain regard? I mean, for lack of a better term, you don't want it to become a vanity project (laughs) or something like that? It's been, yeah, you know, it's a funny one. I do think, in No Age's case in particular, because there's two of us and then there's one label person, just the, the murkiness of that feels odd. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, in a traditional split, like a 50-50 record split mm-hmm. or something, it just feels like there's only two of us and one guy's getting more or something. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Or we're losing more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have found that I'm I'm not that into self-promotion. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like promoting and talking up other things and other people that I'm inspired by. When it comes to myself, it's not, it's, it's a different, it's a different right. beast. And not to say that I won't, I mean, I'm, I put out a couple of these live CDs and that's, I don't know if that's on, there's no, whatever it's on PPM, I guess, but there's also not, I, I I might, I've been working on an LP and that might be something I do. It might be something I give to some, I'm not exactly sure, but you are correct. And I'm I'm an astute observer because I, we had talked, you know, when, when no age signed to sub pop, our plan that we had discussed was to turn in these three records under contract really quick and then just put records out on PPM. Oh yeah, okay. But the three records dr- dragged it a long time because we toured, and the things prom- happened. We had no idea what we were talking what, what would happen. So, mm-hmm. um, but then it just felt like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. And then when that time came, the label was in high in hibernation. So yeah, yeah. Are there any currently active labels that you try to keep tabs on that you think are releasing interesting music and and perhaps uphold the, maybe a similar. Uh, DIY spirit that initially compelled you to start up PPM? Oh, there's a ton. Yeah, there's a ton of labels. Um, one that I've worked with, Radical Documents. Oh, yeah. Um, I really like. Um, uh, like, I, I, I get inspired by, like, we just toured with John Weiss, and he's an old friend of mine. And um, his label, Helicopter, mm-hmm. is just perpetually putting out records cds um yeah there's a there's a ton um i'm blanking <laughs> at the moment but you know that's how it goes i know whenever people put me on the spot about bands or things i'm into it's like uh it's kind of hard yeah right yeah you know i read in a yeah, recent but, uh, drag city oh, but drag city has been uh, drag city too has also been inspiring to work with them and see how they do it you yeah. already mentioned that but it's a big one too for sure yeah I read in a recent interview that you and Randy did, and you mentioned that outside of post-present media music, that you spend a fair amount of your time listening to reggae music now. I do. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you still 
try to keep your ear to the ground to what's happening in and around LA or is that less of a concern for you at this point? Back to reggae. Reggae's been a music that's been important for me for a long time. My dad was weirdly the only music he really liked or bought CDs and stuff and tapes of was reggae. Oh yeah. Not that he had a deep knowledge mm-hmm. and he's a Jewish dude from the valley, but he <laughs> for whatever reason got into like Jimmy Cliff and the harder they come and then Ziggy Marley and Bob Marley. And um, so that stuff had been around since I was a kid and then I kind of got more into it. And, um, but um, yeah, no, I do. And it's less LA. And I think maybe the pandemic had something to do with that. Like I wasn't going out, no one was going out and I've, I've stayed out less than a lot of people um, mm-hmm. just cause I have, Oh, you know, family. And um, so it's been more of a regional sort of, uh, connected weirdoness that has spawned from people giving me, sending me tracks or telling me about someone or, um, but yeah, LA, I definitely, there's a, there's a lot here that or there. I'm in Florida now, but a lot in LA mm-hmm. that's definitely um, part of the DNA of the label that I'll, I'll probably always be a, checking out or excavating or um, just involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, We'll talk about you. You d- briefly discussed the Otis Houston release being important right. to kind of getting you back in the game. And I mentioned earlier, like your desire or kind of modeling what you do after, say, like a, a Discord's Records or SST, where somewhat of a regional focus. But I, you know, in recent years, you're even kind of branching out. And I think that Otis Houston record, of course, speaks to that. And I, we talk about the band Whistler is another one yeah. who are mm-hmm. uh, well outside of uh, the LA area, but. Uh, I I just want to learn a little bit more about this Otis Houston because I'm I'm with you. This is kind of a fascinating record because he's, from my reading of it, sort of a street performer artist. Uh, you know, yep. that's kind of the and this record was just recorded. Was it recorded in a studio? Because he he self released it in like 2006. Yeah, and. Yeah, what, just give a little bit more background on this one because it is a very cool record. Yes, but Otis is from Harlem. Well, he's originally from uh, Greensville, South Carolina, but he's been in Harlem since the 70s. And he um, he was incarcerated twice, I believe. And he told me and our friends that do the gallery that he, while he was incarcerated, he got to take art classes maybe he got his GED there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe since the nineties, he had been doing these street performances off a highway and, um, his performance art. And he'd, he'd, he'd stand there for hours with the watermelon on his head with the stuffed animal stuff you'd find from Dietrich's trash and things like this. And, um, and he'd make signs and he'd been arrested or cited or, or, um, gotten tickets for that too, just mm-hmm. by, being there causing disturbance or having trash or whatever yeah um and i think because he'd just been on this part of the highway off the fdr he had he had people see him you know and they're like hey that's that's the guy the street guy or whatever uh someone invited him to be in part of a group show at some point and our our friend uh jacob um represents him now at his gallery and um otis is just fascinating and he's super positive and he is always singing and always has uh, a rhythm always has words to say and so anyway he he made this record called america the cd 
and he told me that he recorded he said he recorded it at the muslim tents hmm. and I, I, I from what i can decipher from what he was telling me is there's different studios around harlem um and you could go in and give them a little money and they'd have a studio set up maybe with bedrooms i don't know how how pro it didn't seem very yeah. pro and they'd have these stock kind of beats they'd have right. ready to go and he'd just read his poetry or, or jam mm -hmm. over him so that's why in the record there's like three tracks in a row right that are the same but yeah. they'll have different um yeah different lyrics over them and um telling his story of his life so the record really does go into if you listen to it, it um the lyric go into his incarceration um out of there he he got shot um he says he got shot by the muslims maybe someone in nation of islam shot him for some reason he has he had had back surgery um and just his outlook on life and now he now it's great to see him um making these artworks that are you know showing at galleries and he had his first museum show yeah um in Sheboygan mm -hmm. at the Kohler and uh, he's going to be in LA in January doing a and we're going to do a performance together. Um, yeah, he's one, he's great. And we actually recorded some more music. Um, hopefully that can come out this, this 2023 too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to play, I guess one of those three tracks that you mentioned to that open in the record that have the same beat that's great. laid down. I'm going to play the track called the children, which I think is great. one of the like more positive, uh, songs in the record. So again, here is Otis Houston Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving right along. You gotta be in it to win it. You gotta be down to mess around. You got to go all the way just to get there one day. You can't go in between if you want to be the king. Now listen, we must raise up a new generation. We need to use video, rap music, pop sound, and any and everything all around. We need to sing it, play it, sew it, Picture it, draw it, wave it, and shout it everywhere. The challenge is to take up the mantle and do what you gotta do. I'm talking about me and all of you. We are in a desperate situation and my eyes can see they are trying to eliminate you, you, you and me realize that the child is endangered and listen to what I say because tomorrow is going to be worse than today. However, we look at it, the children, the children, the children are the future. Let me end with this. How you expect to save the children when you ain't taking care of yourself? I say, 
They don't want you to know what you already know, but just ain't doing no more. And that's to take care of yourself. We all we got. Uh. We all we got. We all, all we got.
band no age uh has always taken a, a very diy approach in, in how you've operated uh you already mentioned the album an object where you created and assembled all the artwork for every lp cd but you had your hands on virtually everyone <laughs> yeah. quite a processor but uh right. now on, on your latest album that you just put on drag city called people helping people you you forewent uh i guess recording in a studio setting uh, and, and from my understanding, recorded all this yourselves in like your rehearsal spaces and, and then sort of a makeshift studio in Randy's garage. So okay. I, w- was the decision born out of more financial considerations or were you just wanting to give yourselves more time and just see what you could accomplish by doing it yourselves? I think both. I think the financial uh, situation led us and forced us to the conclusion that we had been coming to for a long time that we should just record ourselves because every record we had done um weirder rippers denounce everything in between an object snares like a haircut goons be gone there's all been an element we've all we've there's been tracks that no H ourselves have recorded mm-hmm. and usually it's mixed in with another studio that we we went with and listening back those songs that we recorded always felt unique in a way that I, because maybe because we were learning along the way and, you know, mm-hmm. Randy's learned a lot over the course of a few years about just recording and getting gear. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it was just time for us to, to go that way. You know, it always felt like, yeah, we could record most of it ourselves. You know, those stuff that's more sort of instrumental or the stuff that's sort of more esoteric, but the drums and vocals does need to be in a studio yeah that's and maybe that's more of a that was a like a sub pop world type mm-hmm. type of like it'd be harder to turn in some record that just sounded like you know it was made on a boom box <laughs> and to try to sell that i guess but yeah um yeah i think and and yeah because of buckling down and not touring as much and then pandemic stuff yeah it, it's like we can't really 
we don't really want to pay for a studio so we might as well just do this thing that we've been talking about for a while yeah how do you think that shaped the overall sound and direction of this new one i do think it oh a lot yeah i was gonna say you you kind of branch off into other areas that i haven't heard on your records before but there's still sort of a signature sound there i mean it's very exploratory in a way i think we had time uh, you were in you're in a studio you're paying and you know there's that stress of like you you should go in with stuff finished or you should go in with an idea and just bang it out mm-hmm. and then the tinkering you don't have too much time to tinker because you're with the mixing engineer so i think this just allowed us to trip out and have time to not really be concerned with anything except making the best thing that we could make ourselves which there's a wall you hit like we can't get any we can't really well we could spend year we could spend forever not finishing a record i guess but yeah you hit a wall and you go i can't i don't know if it can get any better we're like at our limit here yeah you know and most we approached it like that like i think this is the top yeah and are you are you guys pretty good at at some point just being like good wash your hands of it i'm done or do you get a little bit like "Eh, i don't know maybe we could tweak that maybe we should overdub that we're we're pretty good once we get to, once we get eighty percent and we're like I, I think it's done. Usually it's me who wants to do, do like change w- slight little things, um, but but once it gets to a point, it feels like once there's a vibe there that sounds and feels right, it's just like let's move on because yeah, I know that yeah. I know the tendency for some people to just never finish, you know, right, just right. keep going. And I I'm much more of a let's just sounds that sounds good enough mm-hmm. to me. Right. And, you know, let's throw it out there so you can, because you'll, the next thing will be better. Right. The next song's better, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, you just have to trust. It's like any sort of skateboarding or just like skydiving or something. <laughs> right, right. Just jump, man. Just gotta, just gotta jump off. That's what keeps you in the game, right? You just I like think. move on from it and re- get, prepare for the next You'll get better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think there's the preciousness that we don't, we try to shake off, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, lately we've been hearing news of uh, of indie bands, you know, some bigger name ones even that are canceling tours, you know, due, due to it not being just even financially solvent mm-hmm. anymore to, to get out there. And, you know, as I was preparing for the show, it occurred to me that No Age and, and the duo lineup is sort of a great model for, for, a, <laughs> for a touring band, I guess, for a whole host of reasons, but especially, you know, very pragmatic bottom line concerns. Um but you just wrapped up your, your first U.S. tour in several years. Can you speak to, I guess, performing live again and, and the new reality of being on tour? Did it, did it feel like the same as it always was, or is it a little bit more clunky out there on the road? It feels different, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think because financially, you know, there's less money to go around. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a thing we were noticing where – you know, we'd get there and they tell us the amount of tickets that were sold, which for us, it was less than, you know, it feels like things are tightening. Right. Yeah. But, um, but then their amount of tickets were sold versus the amount of people that showed up and people are buying tickets and not showing up. Yeah. It's across the board. And I've been hearing that from other bands and other venues and other sound engineers and whatever. And I don't know, maybe people are getting sick and they're not going, that makes sense. Maybe they're just, it just, you spend it and you go, ah, yeah, they'll not go. I don't know. <laughs> um, so th- that was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, we've and we've been a two piece forever. There was a period when we toured everything in between. When we had three people, we had our friend doing samples, and um, we were definitely a bit more flush then. So it made sense mm-hmm. we could do it. Um, but yeah, I think two piece 
it's cheaper. Um, it's dynamic because there's two. Solo can be more difficult. Right. You have a buddy, so you can, you know, buddy up and be safe and <laughs> right. That's right. stay awake when you're driving. And <laughs> exactly. Um, it's worked. Yeah, it works for us. And I don't know. At this point, I don't know what a third person would do. We're pretty we've got it nailed pretty tight with just two of us right right well in addition to your new no age album uh you also had a collaborative album came out with uh john is it weiss or weiss i always want to say weiss john weiss all right yeah. okay i'm i'm all right then You're good. Yeah. <laughs> but that also came out on drag city uh, an album called the echoing shell and you know, your drumming is certainly a key part of that release, but uh, this is not a rock album. Uh, more kind of almost like I, I think of it as like a punk rock take on music concrete, it, mm-hmm. to, to something like that. Where, um, so was it a matter of like laying down and, and capturing sort of like bursts of like raw drum recordings that you were doing i guess i'm curious how this all came together how this album was shaped i mean were you laying down a lot of those drum parts and then sending things to john or was this kind of a back and forth exchange of ideas and and molding this these tracks uh basically it was two sessions one he came to la and we recorded all day in in our practice space in the knowledge space and i played drums all different kinds of beats um stuff i had thought of stuff he had thought of um um and then i had played samples and bass and regular guitar so we spent all days all hours recording and again just pick, picking up stuff that we were discussing and stuff we thought would sound good stuff we thought that would just not sound good just all sorts of things and um he took that and then he recorded at home and um i don't think there's any modular in the record i think it's all sort of um just his program uh and how he makes sounds which is part you know i don't want to speak for john he he does a lot, he yeah. does it in a lot of different ways but uh we put those things together and then he did a big editing session and sent stuff back to me and then um yeah and we landed on two long sides basically yeah yeah it's and, cool um, yeah it's a very cool record um, yeah and we you know we had talked about who would put it out you know we both do labels and we both have friends that do labels so what are we going to do and uh he actually was like we should send a drag city mm-hmm. you know and and they 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 took the bait. They liked it. So very cool. Yeah, very. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned you have some other solo stuff. I saw that you just uh, put out today. As a matter of fact, those are all live recordings. And are, I, when you work in a solo vein, it's much more kind of just uh, kind of stripped down electronics, sound manipulation, and things like that. Is that kind of what the gist is of some of these things that you're putting out? Yeah, I've done. Yeah. And, and this, this new stuff, let's see, cause John and I collaborated, I did a record on radical documents that was based around a performance of, um, motion censored speakers that I did in our friend's gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, so people walked around and triggered these sounds and then I was playing kind of feedback and some drum loops and things. Okay. That was one LP. This new thing that I've been doing is I, I got this rack, uh, uh, emu rack synth. It's called a MoFat. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it on Craigslist for 50 bucks <laughs> and um, I just have a MIDI keyboard and I'm just manipulating the sounds from there. So there's no, at, at, at the present time, there's no samples. It's just all this, this synthesizer that was made for hip hop production in I think 99 mm-hmm. or something. Um, and I've been having a really, really fun time playing this thing and just picking out the sounds that feel wrong that like yeah. I, you know, like yeah. 
there's it, it's a they're all samples in there but nothing that i've created so but, but there's a there's a synthesis system and there's manipulation that you can do on waveforms and effects and things that i've found um have been really just fun and freeing up like you know you don't have to create anything you can just manipulate it it feels different yeah um so that's the new yeah that's the newer vibe and um and yeah and i've been putting out, i put out two cds of live i've just been recording some sets and i feel like that they've come out so good and um and i have i have a couple more probably that i'll do just an addition of 50 and mm-hmm. just really sell it shows right um right. and yeah i, I want to do an lp at some point and again i don't know what that what that means like who puts that out or whatever that right. is but right it's getting there because shit's sounding cool yeah awesome well last question i guess to wrap things up is i guess kind of your future plans for for post-present medium and maybe even no age as well what you what do you have coming down the pipeline here in the next you know few months or so uh yeah for no age i we have a european tour that we're going to do in march Mm -hmm. and it's about two weeks um and then a couple more shows in la after that and i think we're going to take a break for a while Mm -hmm. um it's not completely decided but it feels like we got other stuff to do Mm -hmm. um and for my my yeah and then you know randy's doing solo stuff i'm doing some solo stuff and that this feels exciting for us both we actually played a show together the other night which was fun like Mm -hmm. two separate shows oh yeah he played i played and then we actually jammed together Mm -hmm. um and yeah the label i'm jumping jumping in next year is gonna be really really good first release i have coming out will be uh sometime in march and uh this band called debt rag they're from olympia okay Uh, a member that was in that band baby that i put out Mm -hmm. and um yeah and then dream mega uh, is doing an lp um i got a lot of good stuff planned um so it'll be it'll start kicking off we'll start putting out releasing some singles in january february then we got lps coming in like march april may so busy 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 couple months coming ahead i think so yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to it it's real good stuff very cool. Well, cool. Dean, we'll we'll jump into this last block of music here, starting with a track from No Age, your latest. Uh, we'll play the tr- song called "Tripped Out" before Scott. But thanks cool. so much for your time. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah, thank you for the support, and your show is great. And, for, you know, for sure. Thanks so uh, much. Yeah, take it easy.
start the war Yeah, I shot my camera, son I chose to wait I feel in tune My hair is back and I don't know what to do
And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I'd like to thank Dean once again for taking the time to chat with me. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this episode, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase either physical or digital copies. As always, I encourage you to support labels like Post-Present Medium and artists like Dean and No Wage as much as you can. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of new weeks in the new year with another new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening.